0: So, Lord God, we ask that you would help us this morning to speak that word. Lord God, I'm not just praying that I preached a good sermon, but that, Lord God, we would speak the the word so that, uh, Father, the word here would be digested and metabolized and would come out in, in our lives. And I thank you, Father, for all those that have spoken the word into me, and I thank you, Lord God, that your word is eternal and indestructible. In Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray these things. Amen. And now, in an effort to supplement our budget, we'll pause for a message from our commercial sponsor. I mean, wouldn't you like to be able to move things with just an idea? Because little kids seem to think that you can. And you seem to think that you can, or at least you should be able to. I mean, have you ever been stopped at a red light on a busy day? And you start seeing green, 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 green. Or maybe you're playing Yahtzee or uh, gambling. Seven, 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 right? Or or later today, if if you're a Bronco fan, there, there will be there will be moments when maybe you won't say it, but you'll think it. Touchdown, 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 and then you start saying it. Touchdown, touchdown, and if they make a touchdown, you'll wonder to yourself, was that kind of because of me? In Greek, the word for idea is logos, which also gets translated word. The word for word is logos and also rhema, both from the same root, lego. Uh, Logos usually refers to an unchanging word, and rhema usually refers to a word for a particular situation. For most of us, uh, neither word nor idea carry much weight in what we call the real world. And so people in the real world say things like, well, it's just, it's just an idea, just words, just, just, just words. Both, both word and idea, rhema and Lagos, translate the ancient Hebrew word dabar, which can be translated word or thing. So in ancient biblical thought, there wasn't a difference between a word and a thing. If you said, that's just a word, that'd be the same as saying, well, that's just a thing, just, just reality, words mattered, for the word for word actually meant matter. Logos, uh, rhema, debar, matter. Have you ever looked at a mountain and whispered, well, well, no one was looking, move. In the name of Jesus, move, move, move. Be be cast, move. Because you know Jesus said, if you have faith, as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move, and it will. According to physicists, a Logos should be able to move a mountain, and they're puzzled as to why it doesn't. Well, imagine if everyone in Denver could make mountains move with just a word. Pike's Peak, move! I, I, I gotta drive to Albuquerque, get out of the way! Long's Peak, Be ye lifted up, and may ye be seated down upon the hotel at which Tom Brady sleepeth. (laughs) You know, maybe God our Father is watching, and his word is stronger than our word, and that's good, because all of us little Darth Vaders would annihilate each other in just a matter of minutes if, if it weren't. According to Scripture, God created all things With just a word, and we are being created in His image—the image of the One who creates with a word. Magic is trying to create with a word. Some philologists uh, say that the word "abracadabra" comes from the ancient Aramaic, the ancient Aramaic words that that meant "I create what I speak" or "I create." with a word, and, and hopefully remember, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul first came to Ephesus, some Jewish magicians saw Paul cast out demons in the name of Jesus, and so they tried to use the name of Jesus, and when they did, the demoniac turned on them, stripped them naked, chased them out of the house, and the demons said this, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? So is that why Paul used a word, But that word refused to be used by the magicians. Like Paul had a different relationship with that word as if that word were like a person. And modern people will say, well, that's absurd. Words that can start Volkswagens, words that can move mountains, words that are like persons, that word is absurd. (laughs) A word creating all things, that's a myth. A creation myth. In the 1940s, the great German theologian Rudolf Boltmann argued that we need to demythologize scripture in, in order to make it acceptable and accessible to the modern mind. In mainline churches, that fueled a theological liberalism that turned things like demons into psychological problems and, and the second coming into basically a parable. In conservative churches, folks reacted by taking everything literally, but, but only literally, and by that I mean physically. And so they argued that Christ would return physically, but they stopped asking the question, what does it mean, and who is he? In other words, they got all wrapped up in global politics and stopped loving their enemies. But liberal or conservative, for modern Christians, words didn't really matter. Only matter mattered. And so the church began to say what the world had always been saying, <laughs> it's just words. Just 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 logos. For in our world, words don't seem to matter. In our world, you can't start cars with a word or move mountains. With a word. In, in our world, words are not things. And words are not bound to things. And things are not bound to words. In other words, in, in, in our world, you can lie. And maybe our world is a lie. For everything and every word lacks meaning. In our world, the Logos has died. And now, we find ourselves standing on the edge of chaos and the abyss, desperately needing someone to speak word into our void. Well, the text for this morning is Ephesians 6, verses 11 through 17. And hopefully remember that Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, along with other churches in Asia Minor, already these churches are facing persecution from the Jewish establishment and from the Roman Empire. Paul is writing from a Roman prison cell. He began the letter by saying, we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And he went on to say stuff like this, we have this immeasurable greatness of power in us that believe. And for the Ephesians and maybe even for Paul at times, I bet those words seem to be nothing but a myth. Just words. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, from his prison cell, chained in stock, slandered, reviled, beaten, outcast, abounded, abandoned but by just too many to count, Paul writes this, put on the whole splendid armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the accuser. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take or receive the helmet of salvation and 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 now, and now, after all those pieces of Defensive armor, at last Paul gets to something truly offensive and take, receive the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, if you're like me, you think, (laughs) a word? I mean you don't if you've been around church for a while, right? Cuz you know you're not supposed to say that. But but be honest. I mean that that's what that's what I think if I'm not prepped. A, a, a word? J- just a word? Well, it better be a magic word. Like abracadabra, my taxes are done. Or abracadabra, I'm out of prison, everyone likes me and they call me Pope Paul the 1st. That that'd be a good one, huh, Paul? That was the word. I mean, think about it. Don't you think Paul felt a little bit foolish after writing the letter to the Ephesians. He must have heard a whisper that night in his prison cell after he wrote those words, a, a whisper in his ear, Paul, you're an ass. Late one night about 35 years ago, I remember I heard this terrible sound coming from down the hall, this crashing sound. I ran to the stop of the stairs from my bedroom and I looked down at the base of the stairs and there was my dad crumbled up in a heap. He had fallen down the stairs. I, I ran down to my dad and he was in so much pain he couldn't scream. Have you ever seen that look before? Just a, like that, I, I, his back, I thought it must be broken. In desperation, I just cried out, Jesus, heal him. And immediately, he was okay. I mean, I felt like that little kid in the VW commercial. Except it wasn't a car I brought to life. It was my dad. About 20 years ago, I was, I was with Susan in the back room of, of the old uh, church building with this gal that was manifesting that demon. I mean, I know that's just bizarre, freaky, weird stuff. But at this one point, she started like growling and she sprung up from her seat and began to lunge at me. And, and, and I remember I just, I just said, in Jesus' name, stop! And it was like, all of a sudden, she hit this invisible cement wall and dropped to the floor. And I felt like that little kid in the VW commercial. Late at night, I've woken from sleep. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. Some have told me, I've woken from a sound sleep and something's choking me. And and all I can do, all I can do is just get out the name Jesus. And, And immediately, it stops. For 15 years, in one particular friend, over and over, I saw demons manifest. Even Satan. But then I watched, as words from my mouth produced an immediate physical and and violent response. I I mean, I, I know this is hard for some people to believe, but I physically saw, heard, and felt the word of God violently conquer Satan on multiple occasions over the span of about seven years. I saw the word conquer the devil and liberate his beloved bride. And yet, at that very same time, during that very same period, I would preach that very same word to the church I loved and I felt foolish. Often rejected and very, very weak. Six years ago, I was defrocked from my denomination and reviled by much of that church that I dearly really loved it, it It was the week after Thanksgiving six years ago that I moved all of my stuff out of the office and it was the week after Thanksgiving this year that I had a heart attack now I honestly. Don't know if or how or in what way Those two things may be related But I do know that the rejection of that word Six years ago was the greatest sorrow That I have ever experienced Now I'm sure I spoke words of my own flesh During that time that that should be rejected But, but, But I also spoke the word of God I spoke the word of love. Some of you have spoken words of love to a child, for instance, for 14 or 15 years. And now you look and the words are rejected and it feels as if they've died. And that's the worst pain, the greatest sorrow you've ever felt. Some of you have spoken words of love to a husband or a wife for decades for decades, and, and now it appears that all those words did not accomplish that for which they were sent, but returned void, returned empty, and, and it's the greatest sorrow that you've ever felt. All of you have spoken words of love and hope, and then washed as they got crucified and buried, and now you stand outside of the tomb thinking to yourself, Were they just words? Because now they're dead. And so why should I keep speaking them? Well, Paul sits in his little prison cell, writing to these little churches in Asia Minor. Ephesians 118, he writes this, I pray that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. That is, I pray that the eyes of your heart would have a revelation about the word and what the word is doing. Then in chapter six, he writes this, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Well, what is the word of God? You know, most folks in, in our culture seem to think that the word of God is the Bible, which reveals that they don't read the Bible. The Bible may communicate the word of God, but it can't be the same thing as the word of God. The, the word of God is not a book. And the book, the Bible, records that the word of God came to people, like traveled to people, and then wrestled with people, even some people, uh, like Jacob in Israel. And when the term word of God, you know, was first used, there was no Bible to which it could refer when Jesus referred to the things that we now call the Bible, he usually used the word graphe, or, uh, or, or it comes from the word grapha, which means uh, to write, and it gets translated scripture. It means writing. Sometimes he used the word namas, which gets translated law. Well, Jesus said he came to fulfill the law, and he said that scripture, the scripture cannot be broken, and so he had a very high view of the Bible, but it's not the same thing as the word of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and and truth. The angel said to Mary, you will name him Jesus. The The name Jesus literally means God is salvation God is love and Jesus is the word of love God is love he's the word of love and Jesus said the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life he is the logos and he speaks rhema and now in Ephesians 6 Paul writes take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God well that's a lot to process but right now, I just want to ask this, this question. If it's true that we have the Word of God, why don't we speak it more often? Why don't we swing the sword? I mean, I think you know what I mean. You're with friends or you're, you're at a family dinner and in the course of conversation, you think to yourself, gosh, I, I, I really ought to uh, mention Jesus. But, but you don't. Maybe you're thinking about a husband or a wife or a friend or, or a neighbor and you think to yourself, oh, gosh, I, I really would like to find a way to tell them about, uh, about Jesus. But you hide the sword. Why don't we swing the sword? Why don't we speak the Word of God. Now, I'm I'm asking you to be brutally honest. So this is what I want you to do right now. I want you to just sit in silence, okay? If you want, close your eyes and, and just ask yourself this question. Why don't I speak the word? Think about those situations, people you're with. Why don't you? Okay, you probably need to think on that more. And and there may be all sorts of ways to say it, but isn't the reason that you don't speak the word the fact that in some way, in some part of you, you think the word is bad. Or even more, you think the word is dead. You, 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 you think the word is dead. That just like every other word that we speak in this world, the word of God is dead. Be honest. You think the logos is dead. And so it has no power. It doesn't work. And you don't know how to make it work. It makes no sense. And you can't make it make sense. And so you feel like an ass. And so you don't speak the word. And if you think you have to speak the word because you know you went to church and the pastor said that you were supposed to, well, you you try to make it make sense. I mean, you try to make it work. So, so you speak the word and then you say something like this, okay? And then you have to do this and you can't do that. You you got to do if if it if it's gonna work, you try to make it work. You try to make sense because it's not making sense. You start to work because you think it's not working. You start to judge because you think it's not. Judging, You seize control because you think the word isn't in control. You get religious and become a Pharisee and feel even worse because Pharisees are miserable and they hate the word. In short, you think the word is dead and you have to bring it to life and you can't bring it to life. And so you don't speak the word. You think the word of God is dead like every other word uttered by the children of Adam. Recently I've been reading a a fascinating book, just started, that Trey Tomini gave me um, a little while ago. It's titled The Information by science writer James Gleick. I was actually reading it in the bathtub when I had my heart attack. Gleek, it's not your fault, Trey, but, but at the moment Gleek, Gleek was talking about how once upon a time every word must have been like alive. Because it had to be spoken by a person that was with you. Make sense? But with the invention of the alphabet, with the invention of letters and, and writing, a, a word could then be divorced from, like, its spirit or its life or its, its person. One could then control the word, manipulate the word, conquer the word, but the word would be dead. No longer a living word, but a written word. You know, like nailed down to, to some paper or, or some wood. Scholars argue that the invention of the alphabet and the written word changed the very way that people think. So that we no longer encounter logos, we manipulate logic. According to Gleek, scholars have traced the invention of the alphabet, actually all alphabets, to a region we now refer to as the Middle East sometime before 1500 BC. Well, that's just fascinating. Since sometime before 1500 B.C. in that same region, the Bible records that God wanted to go for a walk. Which suggests that he was in the form of a man. A perfectly good man because God is the good. He wanted to go for a walk with Adam and Eve. The good wanted to be known by Adam and Eve. He wanted to be with Adam and Eve. But Eve and Adam had made a choice. They chose to take knowledge of the good over knowing the good. They chose knowledge of the word over knowing the word and being known by the word. They chose knowledge of good and evil. They chose knowledge of the law. They chose knowledge of love over love. The law describes love, but it's not love. Like writing symbolizes a word, but it's not the word. And, and now listen closely. Knowledge of good and evil is good, right? God's the one that made that tree. Knowledge of good and evil is good. The law is, is good. Um, scripture, Scripture, Scripture is, is good. Scripture is good, but it's not the good, The word written is good, but it's not the word. Humanity chose knowledge of the word over the word and crucified the word. And now you see, I'm not just talking about some scholarly theory that might be wrong. And I'm not just talking about the fall of Adam. I'm talking about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ who is the word. You know, we all crucified him. He was crucified in something like 33 A.D., according uh, to Scripture. Uh, According to Revelation in Scripture, he was crucified from the foundation of the world. According to Ephesians in Scripture, you were chosen in him from the foundation of the world. You see, I think God allowed you, even arranged for you, to kill his word, who is Jesus. And he's not just a word, he's The word. So when he dies, every word dies. The meaning of all things dies. It's like creation dies. The word of God is crucified on the tree of law. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. The word of God is crucified on the tree of law by his bride because she'd rather have knowledge of him than be known by him. She'd rather control him than be controlled by him. She'd rather conquer him than be conquered by him. God sends his word into Jerusalem. Humble and riding on an ass. And Jerusalem seizes control of the word of God and nails the word of God to a tree and the word of God dies. Did you get all that? Because I didn't get all that. I'm just barely beginning to see it. So for now, just get this. I'm saying, I bet you don't swing the sword, I I bet you don't speak the word because you think the word is dead. And you have to bring it to life. You know, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He preferred the letter of the law to the spirit of the law, and Paul was a part of that group that crucified Jesus along about 33 AD. Uh, And he thought, Paul thought the word was dead until the Word ambushed him on the road to Damascus. The Word rose from the dead. The Word judged Paul. The Word recreated Paul. The Word was now incarnate in Paul. You see, Paul did not bring the Word to life. The Word brought Paul to life. You know, I bet Paul really often felt weak and ridiculous. I I bet he often felt like an ass. but the Word of God likes to ride an ass. That's how he rode into Jerusalem. That's how he chooses to enter his city. That's how he chooses to enter his bride. That's how he chooses to destroy the works of the devil. So, so Paul wrote to Ephesus and the churches of Asia Minor saying, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he prayed that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. That's why, um, or, that, or that they would have literally an apocalypse, apocalypto, that they would have a revelation. About 40 years later, Ephesus and the churches of Asia Minor receive a letter from John, uh, exiled on the island of Patmos. It's titled The Revelation of Jesus. And this is chapter 19, verse 11. Then I saw, I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges. He judges, and he makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Now, does John mean a that when you see a flying white horse, it means the word of God is returning to earth, or B, that when you hear the word of God and speak the word of God, Jesus goes to war, riding on your tongue, and even if you feel like an ass, you're not an ass. You're a war Logically, you can believe both A and B, that Christ will come and that he's been coming for 2,000 years. But if you think that the word is dead, you can only believe the first, and and you just spend all your time staring at the sky, and you won't hear the word or or speak the word, because if someone speaks the word, you'll think to yourself, it's, it's just words, just words. And you know, if John's only referring to the future, if John's only referring to global politics in 2059 or something, why did John send the vision to Ephesus in 90 AD? And why did he write Revelation 1, verse 7? Look, he is coming with the clouds of heaven. And why, in Matthew 26, as he was tried before the high priest Caiaphas, why did Jesus say this? From now on, from henceforth, from this point forward, you will see the Son of Man, seated at the right hand of the Father, and coming on the clouds of heaven. You, Caiaphas. (laughs) You see, I think... Caiaphas, the high priest, saw Jesus coming in 40 AD. When Jerusalem and Caiaphas' temple, his temple, were destroyed, I think we all see him the day we die, the day that this temple is destroyed. And yet he comes whenever we proclaim the word of God. Why? Because he is the word of God. And he's not dead. He's alive. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. He's alive. And what's he doing? Well, let's keep reading. The name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure. You know, read Revelation, I think you'll realize that's us. That's us, okay? The armies of heaven were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down, smite the nations, and he will shepherd them with a rod of iron. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. I hope you remember our sermons about the winepress. Remember? It was looked like a cross, and the wine is blood, and the blood is wine. Imagine that. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he called to the birds that fly directly overhead. Come, gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men. (laughs) Did you catch that? Have you ever caught that? All men. I mean, I think that includes you. I think that includes includes me. All men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of this earth. What did he see? Principalities and powers. The world rulers of this present darkness, with whom we wrestle, wielding the word of God. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him, who was sitting on the horse and against his army. He, he is the word of God, and what's he doing? He's working. He's making sense of this world. He's judging all flesh. Do you remember what Jesus said in the Gospel of John? He said, all judgment has been given to the Son. And he said, I judge no one, yet if I do judge, my judgment is just. He's like the judge that judges by not judging. He himself is the judgment. It's like we've preached over and over again. If Jesus, if Yahshua, If Yahweh is salvation, then you are not salvation. And you have absolutely no reason to boast. You have absolutely no reason for pride. If everything is grace, all your pride is an utter illusion. You see, the Word of God destroys all flesh, it destroys your old nature. It destroys your old man. It cuts him away from the new man. And so every time you hear the word of God and speak the word of God, it's Armageddon. The devil is bound and the kings of this earth are destroyed. Your ego actually thinks it's king. And it will not bow to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It's destroyed. Now listen closely. I believe that time, time as we experience it, will come to an end. But I believe it does come to an end whenever the word conquers a human heart and fills it with what? Eternal life. Jesus is the end. That's what scripture says. Jesus is the end. The word of God is the end. The word of God is the judgment of God. So you can't judge. And you don't have to judge. And you see, I think that's like really wonderful, incredible, incredibly good news. You don't have to judge. But if you speak the word of God, you speak the judgment. And nothing is as offensive as to human flesh. Nothing is as offensive to human flesh as the revelation of Jesus, the word of God, the judgment of God. So don't be surprised when you find yourself despised, rejected and hated by all for his name's sake, for his name is, Yahweh is salvation. Which means you are not salvation. We are not salvation. You you see, the word of God slays all flesh including the flesh of the one that speaks it. So if you speak the word, don't be surprised if you experience violence. He said, I I came to bring a sword. If you speak the word, don't be surprised if you experience violence, and then everything seems to die. You know, at one point, Jesus died. He even said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, if the seed dies, it bears much fruit and Paul wrote what you sow does not come to life unless it dies Jesus is the word and the word is seed Jesus is 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 the end and yet the end is also the beginning he's the resurrection When a seed dies, it turns into more seed. It turns into much fruit. The end is the beginning. He's the resurrection. So listen closely. You don't have to make the word come to life. The word is the resurrection and the life. And you don't have to judge with the word. The word is the judgment. And you don't have to make sense of the word. The word makes sense of you and everything else. And you don't have to make the word work. The word makes you work, and the word makes all things work. The word is the creator. In Revelation 19, the word condemns all flesh and the kings of this earth. Then in Revelation 21, the word of God says, look, I'm making all things new. And John sees a new Jerusalem descending on the new earth, and he writes, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The word destroys the kings of the earth and then raises them from the dead. Just as the word destroyed Rabbi Saul, you know, he thought he was a king of this earth. Just as the word destroyed Rabbi Saul and raised St. Paul. You see, the word works. The word works all things, but, but you cannot make the word work. And yet your father is inviting you to speak. His word. So so how do you speak the word? And we'll have to come back to this in weeks to come, but, but how do you speak the word? He didn't say, take the the sword of the spirit, go to seminary, then speak the word. <laughs> how do you speak the word? You can't speak the word if you think you are the word. You can't speak God is salvation if you think that you are salvation. You can't speak the word unless you surrender to the word. You can't speak the word unless you trust that the word is speaking you. In Revelation 12, John writes that we conquer, that they conquered it, we conquer by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. The word of your testimony, the word of our testimony is is Jesus, Jesus is the word of our testimony. You see, if you've been conquered by the word, You've heard the word, that's, that's Jesus. And you have a unique and individual testimony of Jesus, of Jesus in, in your life. And your testimony of Jesus is your gratitude for God's grace to you in Christ Jesus. It's the word of God in you and you become his body, the body of Christ, the body of God's word. So when you believe God's word of love for you, that love inhabits your every word. And then they're no longer dead words. They're living words. Every word becomes Jesus. For every word is filled with love. Every word is the, is the, the word of God. Do you know why I believe the word of God? And, and I'll throw the Bible and all that stuff in here too. Do you know why? Why? It's not because I made sense of the word. It's not because I made the word work. It's not because I judged the word or judged the world with the word. It was because I encountered the word in my dad. I mean, the word came to life in my dad and ambushed me. My dad was a pastor. Some some of you knew him. But but in all honesty, and it embarrasses me a little bit to say this, but it also kind of amazes me. In all honesty, I, I really don't think I remember one of his sermons. But I remember him. Or Jesus in him. I remember love in him. Just about every word. And that word judged me, <laughs> created me, and gave me life. And my dad called it Jesus. And it was. And maybe that's why God wants people to speak His Word. Because His Word isn't just a letter, it's not just. Words on a page, his word is spirit and life, and the word comes to life in, in you, not because you went to seminary, but because the word has conquered your heart and given you a, a testimony. Uh, even the Bible, you know, is, is really just a stack of testimonies. The God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac, the God of Moses and David, Ruth and Mary. Gospel, good news, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, even Ephesians is the testimony of old Paul. And just think, it wasn't weak. And if it died, well, it certainly came to life, right? I mean, we read it here 2,000 years later this morning. And just think, the word of God in those seven little churches in Asia Minor, well, how's this? It conquered the Roman Empire and conquered your heart. Not just the letter, but the spirit in the letter and the spirit in the persons. Well, well, truly nothing, nothing is more powerful than the word of God. It creates all things and it conquers the devil. I mean, I've seen it. Nothing is more powerful than, than the word of God. But, but then you might say, well, okay, but Peter, why does it often seem just so weak? And why sometimes does it seem to to die? Well, I think it's because the word not only conquers the devil, and the word not only conquers all things, but because the word came to conquer your heart. And he does. The word of love conquers hearts. So don't stop speaking it. Don't stop speaking it even if it seems to die. Even if it breaks your heart. Don't stop speaking the word of love, for it will not return void, says Scripture. It will not return void, but will accomplish that for which it was sent. It, it, it will rise from the dead and make all things new. Well, on that night, on Mount Zion, on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and. Hey, did, did, you, did you know this? When, when Jesus that, said that thing about moving this mountain, he was standing on Mount Zion. And he said, um, you will say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the heart of the sea, and and you know the sea was a picture of the nations, uh, the Mediterranean and the nations, and a picture of of uh, the of the abyss. You you, you will say, uh, and you see the uh, Mount Zion was the place of the sanctuary, the temple, the presence of God. And check this out. Did you know? Uh, he said it one other time too in Matthew. He said it on the Mount of Transfiguration. I mean, maybe one day everything will be transfigured and. You see, I think that that one day you will move mountains with a word. We will move physical mountains with a word and yet every word will be saturated with love. The word of our Father. So we won't move mountains to crush our enemies. (laughs) But to exhibit the glory of God and share in his joy. So anyway, on that night, on the mountain, the word of God took bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given to you, take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins, drink of it, eat and drink. And so he calls you, he, he calls to you to come to his table, eat and drink his word and then speak his word. You're his body. You don't even need to, need to go to seminary, okay? Speak his word, in Jesus' name. Let's eat his word, and speak his word. Let's, let's worship. <laughs> you understand that's us we're all little darth vaders running around our world trying to control everyone and everything in our wor- world with our, with our will and our word. Yeah, do as I can, and everything, everything is dead. But when our Father's will and word becomes our will and word, then our words become filled with power and we actually speak life into things. And not just cars. But babies and people, uh, we speak life into, into our, our, our world. You, you know, I, I said, I said, the Logos has died in our world. But you see, when you come to see and you come to believe that the Logos is alive in your world, when the risen Logos comes to your world, you've just entered another world. Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's pressing in upon our world and it's eternal. This other one's passing away. And so, speak the word. You see, I I think the Heavenly Father is like standing at the window and he just gets a kick out of it when we speak his word. God is love and his word is Jesus. Jesus is the word of love. Speak his word. And the King conquers. In Jesus' name, believe the gospel. And and, and now, before you go, let me say, you know all this stuff about end times and everything. People believe all sorts of different things. People believe all sorts of different things here. And all those things, I've been amazed, they can kind of be true at once. Um, uh, But one thing we know is true. And that is that the word became flesh and they named him Jesus. That's the, that's the word. And so people get freaked out about all that stuff. And you know what else I found out is people get freaked out about this. They get freaked out about Scripture. I've come to love Scripture. But people get freaked out about it and they tell me, you know, I, I like the sermons, but I don't read Scripture because it freaks, it freaks me out. Well, you know what the end times mean? Jesus. You know what Scripture means? Jesus. So you don't have to be afraid of the end. You don't have to be afraid of Scripture because it's Jesus. And, and when you read it, talk to Jesus, listen to Jesus, and he'll reveal more and more of his wonder and his glory. So I so, um, ah, started preaching another sermon. I'm sorry. But if you uh, enjoy the Bronco game, downstairs, hang out if you want. The members of the prayer team, they'll be down front on either side. They'd, they'd love to pray with you. Have a great day.